Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, chapter 1. We will begin in verse 11. We'll go through verse 16 tonight. And the title of this message is Good News, Man Overboard. All right, here's here's the trick. All right, I came to preach, and y'all came to worship. Now, I'm going to preach. Y'all go ahead and get ready to worship. Right now, it looks like we may have come to a funeral this evening. All right? Now, I'm not dead yet. Danny's smiling, so he's not dead yet. And I'm looking the rest of you in the eyes, and y'all ain't dead yet. So let's have a good time together. All right, good news, man overboard. And I'm not sure the words of this title have ever been mentioned very often in all of history. I mean, how often do you talk about a man going overboard in a ship and say, boy, that was good news. Now, I can probably think of a few times I've been on a boat and wished I could have pushed somebody out, but never have I actually done it before. But in this instance, I do believe it's appropriate. And we come to this place in the text, and we are actually concluding our study of chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. Uh, It kind of got spread out with revival and and a few other things. Uh, And so we're just going to, uh, we're going to conclude the first chapter of the book of Jonah tonight uh, with this message. And let's just keep in mind what we're really preaching about here. We've said since the beginning of this story uh, that, that it's more than a fish story, all right? The story of Jonah, while every time we ever mention the name Jonah, we turn around and say Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish, okay? Every time it's told to our children, it's always told with Jonah and the fish. But we've tried to focus as we've gone through the first chapter of the book of Jonah. And if I have done even a reasonable job of preaching through the first chapter of the book of Jonah with you, then one thing I hope that you've seen is that really Jonah is not so much a story about a fish. It's not even really a story about a backslidden preacher. It is really a story about the never-ending, over-pursuing grace of God in our lives that while we are disobedient... He is there and he is forgiving and he is pursuing and he is looking to us and how the storms in our life are often sent in order to turn us back to him. And so as we look through this and we're not going to do verse 17 on purpose because I didn't spend all of this time preaching through these first 16 verses talking about something besides a fish to turn around and finish on the stinking fish. So we're not going to do verse 17. But for those of you who want to know that we completed chapter 1 in verse 17, there's a fish, okay? There's a fish and that's kind of what happens. But It is a reminder to all of us in in chapter 1 particularly that when we go astray, that God is there. And I don't know about you guys, but there have been times in my life where like Jonah, I have run headlong in the direction that I knew God was calling me away from. I knew that God was pointing me in this direction. And because I was afraid of what might happen on the way and what might happen when I got there, I tried my best to go as far this way as I could. But can I just tell you that no matter how far 
I tried to go. God, when I turned back, was right there waiting for me. God was right there, and all I had to do was surrender to him, and he forgave me, and he delivered me, and he continued to use me. And that's really what this story of Jonah is about. Sometimes when I go to South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, that's where my mom uh, was raised, is South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. And sometimes when I go over there, I go over to the New Hope Cemetery. Now, if any of you have been to South Pittsburgh or New Hope, you would realize that those two communities are separated by a bridge that goes over a river and that there's uh, probably a cumulative population of five if you count both communities together. But So I go over to the New Hope Cemetery because that's where my grandmother and grandfather are buried. And sometimes when I get there, uh, I think of how my grandfather impacted my life. I, I sit and I look and I think of how he showed me to play the guitar and how playing the guitar has been such a paramount part of my life and my ministry and the things that God has done with me as a result of him showing me to play that guitar and him pouring into me. Now, I don't know how many of you have someone in your life that occasionally you journey by the headstone or you journey by the cemetery or you think of them even and you look back and you think of what effect they had on your life. Uh, many each year visit the Moody Bible College in Chicago. Uh, and when I went to Chicago uh, in October of 2015, I believe, uh, we drove by and I saw the Moody Bible College. And for me, I sat and I thought to myself about Dwight L. Moody and his name tattooed on the side of this college and his name paramount with the sermons that he preached both in Chicago and throughout all of the United States and over in England and how people were saved as a result of his faithful, fiery preaching. And when I drove by that college and as many other people have done, I looked over and I remember thinking to myself, God... Give me a word for the people of this generation like you gave Dwight Moody in his generation. God, God would, you, would you stir something inside of me like what you stirred inside of him that I wouldn't be able to be put up or shut up until I preach the word of God everywhere you called me to preach it. I bet the little Jewish children sometimes did that. Don't you think so? In the Old Testament into the New Testament as they went. I'd say there were good Jewish children that would go and they would see uh, the graveside of Isaiah and say, God, allow me to have a word for my people like Isaiah had for the people of the history. God, allow me to have a word like Ezekiel. God, call me up in a chariot of fire like Elijah. But I bet that not one of them looked at the grave of Jonah and said, God, use me. The way you use Jonah, what do you think? Do you think any of them went to the headstone of Jonah and said, God, make me a backslidden preacher that ends up in the belly of a fish? I don't think that's something that anybody said. Yet, there was one who used that word. He was a carpenter from the hill country. As he strolled into town... Jesus of Nazareth, the very son of the living God, in Matthew 12 and 39, did just that. His opponents were, were probing him, and they said, give us a sign. And in Matthew 12 and 39, Jesus says, I'm going to validate myself. There, there is no sign that will be given to this generation except for the sign of Jonah. 
He says, I'm going to validate myself in the story of Jonah. Now, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? This whole first chapter, we've talked about how disobedient Jonah was. We know that Jesus was never disobedient. And yet he said, the sign for your wicked and perverse generation will be, I will be like Jonah. That's the sign that you've gotten. And so when we think of that, it kind of begins to change our thoughts. Because if we're not careful, we look at Jonah like there's something wrong with Jonah. And there was something wrong with him. He was disobedient. But he's a picture of us in that. We relate that. But we don't often look at his disobedience and see a picture of Jesus. And tonight, in these five verses, we are going to attempt to look at it with our gospel glasses on. So I'm going to ask you to put your gospel glasses on with me, okay? I'm going to ask you to look at this because this is, in my opinion, in the five verses where we can really see what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 12, 39. As he shows a sign, as he validates himself, we're going to see, uh, I hope that, that we're going to see a clear picture of Jesus Christ in these five verses. Because keep in mind, we're not stretching things to do that. Because what does God say in his word? He says that we should see Jesus in its entirety. We should see Jesus in everything. Genesis through Revelation, the entire book is written about him. So to look for Jesus in these verses is not the incorrect way to look at the Bible, but in fact, it is the most correct way for us to look at the Bible. So put your gospel glasses on. Stand with me, please, as we read from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Let us pray. Father God, God, we thank you so much for the day that you've given us. God, we thank you so much that you've brought us here tonight, Lord God. And God, as we stand here, we ask that you would bind any devil and any demon and any spirit from this place that's not yours, Lord God. God, we pray that you would free us up to worship you fully in spirit and in truth, Lord God. And most importantly, we pray that as we look to your word, Jesus, we would see you. And that you would be glorified in these few moments that we have together. God, we ask these things in your precious, saving name. And all God's people said. And you may be seated. A few few things we're going to look at. Really, three things, believe it or not. Surprise, surprise. Three-point sermon, right? Okay, so the first thing we're going to look at is this. The storm reaches everyone on board. The storm reaches everyone. Remember back in verse 4, the Lord hurled the storm at his prophet. But everybody on board felt the fury of the storm and they were stuck right there in Jonah's mess. Can I just put this out there? The storm was started by the first sin of man. The storm was started 
by Adam. And it is reaching every one of us on board this ship of life. Just the same as the storm was really hurled at the prophet Jonah but affected everyone on the ship with Jonah. We're all in a storm of sin in our lives and really it's a result of the sin of our first forefather, Adam. Uh, Do you know that even those who are in the world who, who claim that they don't believe in God are caught up in this storm of sin. Even those who are in the world that say that they don't believe in God or they don't think there is a God, inadvertently, whether they care to admit there is a God or not, did you know that they're caught up in the ever-present storm of sin that rages through this world? How do you say that? Well, God's Word says that through Adam, sin entered the world, and with it, death. Right. So the fact that you have people in the world that say they don't believe in God, they, they can say that if they want to, but the fact that they believe in death, because I don't believe that any of them would say that they don't believe in death because they've all been to a funeral at some point, the fact that they say that at least lets us know that whether you believe in God or not, whether you want to call out to Jesus or not, you are still suffering the effects of sin, the same as the way that these mariners were affected by the sin of Jonah. Verse 11, the other mariners begin to recognize that very fact that their association with Jonah had them caught up in this sin, right? What do they say in verse 11? What shall we do to you, right? If they thought that it was something besides their association with Jonah, they wouldn't be asking him, what is it that we need to do to you? Something that you, you're the problem, Jonah, and and the fact that we're associated with you has us suffering in this sin. The fact that we're tied to you somehow, Jonah, has got us caught up in this storm above all storms. We are professional sailors. We do this for a living. We sail this route often, and yet we've never been a part of a storm like this, and we don't know what to do. What do we need to do to you, Jonah? Can I just tell you that when you were born, my friend... You were born into a mess. When your parents ooed and odd and cooed and cod and everything else that you do when you have a baby, they didn't tell you, but they had infected you with a nature of sin that they had inherited from their parents, whose parents had inherited from their parents, and had been traced all the way back to Adam, right? They don't want to tell you that, but keep in mind what the Word of God says, that through one man Adam, sin entered the world, and the consequence of that sin is death, and it's perpetuated throughout mankind and throughout history. So when we were born, because of that, we were born into a mess. It's a famous Hebrew word. It can be translated mess, and in Greek it's also translated, anybody want to guess? Mess. Okay, so we got that. When you were born, you were born into a mess. Because of your association with sin. You didn't ask for it. You didn't pick it out. The same as these mariners on this ship. Most of them didn't make the decision to ask Jonah aboard. It was just their captain that took Jonah on board. Most of them didn't make that decision. Yet they were caught up in a mess just because they were associated with Jonah. But can I just tell you something? They weren't just connected for this storm. They were kind of caught in this storm. This is something else that that sometimes we fail to remember as we talk about getting out of things. But 
The sea was raging. It was getting harder and harder and harder. It says the sea was growing more tempestuous. So the longer they stayed in association with Jonah, the longer they stayed connected to that sin, the worse and worse and worse the storm got. It just kept getting worse. Every second they were on board, the effects of the storm got worse. I can only imagine this boat sitting out in this water going up and down as the storm raged on. And I believe that when it first started, They thought they could handle it. But then suddenly, boards started to splinter off the side of the boat. And the mast began to to wave. And I don't know if they had a motor on the back or not. Probably not. But if they did, it fell off is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the boat was getting worse as the storm got worse. And they began to look around and they said, this is not getting better. We got to do something. In case you didn't make the connection. The longer man remains on this earth, the more the separation from the will of God rages upon us. The worse and worse and worse it gets. We feel it most strongly when we stare deeply into the grave of a loved one and get that cold chill. That death is a result of sin. We we hear it when we turn on the news and we hear what's happening in this world. The storm is raging all around us. Now I'm not insinuating that all of life is, is misery by any stretch. I have a lot of joy in my life. I enjoy my life very much. I had a wonderful day today at my son's birthday. But can I just say that regardless of the fact that I had a really good time celebrating my son's birthday today. If I'm being honest, all I got to do is look around and I see that this is a mess. And it's more of a mess now than it's ever been. There's things that we do now, commonplace, that we'd have never dreamed of doing 75 years ago. There's people getting away with things now, walking around doing them, and the police can't even get on to them about it, that 75 years ago they'd have been ashamed to think about it. There's people doing things inside a church now that they wouldn't have dreamed of doing outside a church 75 years ago. We're in a mess, and it just keeps getting worse. And it's getting worse because we're associated with that sin. And that storm that is a result of that sin keeps raging on. And can I just tell you, if you stay associated with that sin, if you stay caught in that, then eventually you're going to go down with it. That ship would have sunk had something not happened because they were caught in that mess, in that storm. But bless God, the storm reaches everyone on board. We're all caught up in a mess because of sin. But can I just tell you that the solution requires someone on board? Surely you're starting to see this connection with Jesus already. Keep your glasses on, your gospel glasses. The sailors ask, what do we need to do? Verse 12, look look what Jonah says. Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Verse 12 may be in the four chapters of the book of Jonah, the one verse where Jonah does the right thing. He looks at the situation and he says, You're going to have to throw me overboard. 
take me up and cast me into the sea. The storm is blowing on you because of me, so throw me over. And can I just point out that as far as all of the men on board knew and as far as Jonah knew in this situation, what he was essentially saying is that in order for you to be spared, you're going to have to kill me. He didn't know there was going to be a fish. As far as he knew, he was being cast into a raging sea. And so essentially what he's saying and what all the other sailors on board are hearing is if you're going to be spared, there's got to be a sacrifice made and that's got to be me. If you're going to be saved, then someone on the ship's got to die. And I I hope that you're surely seeing this picture of Jesus right now. I want you to think about this as we look and we see Jesus uh, in this story, as we begin to see that it required Jesus to die. Can I just point out to you that there was no one else on board that could have been sacrificed to have stopped the storm. There was no other option. Look Look at what happens in verse 13. He says, you're going to have to throw me in the sea, for I know that this storm is because of me. And in verse 13, what do the men say? They rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. Right? He gave them the solution. The solution to your storm is the sacrifice. The solution to your debt is the sacrifice. And what do they do? I don't like that option. Let me see if I can make my own. I don't like the way that sounds. That's, that's, that's bad. I don't want to embrace that solution. I want to try to dig my oar in and make my own way. And can I just tell you that today many are still doing the same thing. Many are still digging their oars of good works and efforts into the sea of life. Trying their best to roll their way out of this storm. So many people are still saying things like, if I can just, if I just go to church... If I can just, just, just go to church enough, I'll dig my way out of this storm called sin. If I just, if I just do this, if I, if, I just give, if I just give to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital and go to church and I don't, and I don't drink much and I, and I quit doing this and I, and, I, and, I, and I lay this down, I quit, I quit looking at those bad movies and I quit thinking those bad thoughts. If I just stop doing the things I ought not do and start doing the things I ought to do, I can just roll my way right out of this storm of sin. But can I just tell you that just like these mariners were busy digging their oars in trying to get to land, you will never get there. The problem with all of our rowing is that when God sees us rowing, he just sees filthy rags. Because apart from God, we have no righteousness. All of our good deeds and all of our good works, they don't mean anything apart from God. There's no other option. You realize the captain of the ship could have came out and said, I'm going to dive in for my mates. I'm going to jump in the water. I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, I'm going to give a sacrifice to the sea gods. The sea gods require a sacrifice, and I'm going to dive in to save everybody. And all he would have done is just been one dead sailor in a storm. And the storm would have kept raging because there was but one man on board who was worthy for the sacrifice. One man on board who needed to be sacrificed. Can I remind you, surely we see it. But that the death of Jesus on the cross is the only sufficient way to stem the wrath of God. There is no other way. The wrath of God will be poured out upon sin. 
And Jesus was the only one who could be sacrificed who took that wrath on the cross so that you wouldn't have to have that wrath poured out upon you. The big difference between Jonah and Jesus, obviously, is that it was Jesus' innocence that qualified him to be the perfect sacrifice. It was Jesus' sovereignty that qualified him to be the sacrifice. Peter said it best when he wrote that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only name by which we are saved. He is the only sacrifice. He's not a good choice among choices. He is not an icon on your bumper sticker. He is not the other part of the fish symbol. He's not a good savior among a few saviors. He is the only option. He is the only Savior. And why do these guys hesitate? Why in the world do they even hesitate? They hesitate because you think about it. That's a a grave option to have to throw a man to his death. Right? I mean, you think of these mariners were pagans. We learned that early on in chapter 1. They didn't cry out to God. When they talked to Jonah, they said, go talk to your God. We'll talk to ours separately. They didn't believe in God. And yet, even the rough sailing pagans looked at this situation and said, man, I don't really want to cast this cat overboard. I don't want to do that. When you think of those mariners, And how they battled with that situation. I think we too should think of the severity of the cross of Jesus. And how it was the only option and it was a severe option. It was a grave thing that had to be done. We we often gloss over that, I think, until we watch a movie, right? How many of you have ever seen The Passion of the Christ? If you've never seen The Passion of the Christ, how many of you have ever seen another movie that does a really good job depicting the punishment of the cross? Okay. Those of you that haven't, you should. Those of you that have, when you saw Jesus strapped to that cross, what would you do? Did you shake your head? Did you cry? Did you go, why? Why did that have to be the way? God... Thank you. Did you at least say thank you? Sure you did. Because you realize the the severity of that. How many of you think of that every day though? I don't. I think of it when I watch that movie. I think of it around Good Friday when I prepare to to preach a message about Tetalistai or something. We should think of that often. Because can I just tell you that the severity of what it took to set you free has never changed. Since the day it happened, it's just as gruesome today to think about as it was to have seen it live and in person. It's just as severe now as it's ever been. It should never grow dim in our sight. Because thinking of the severity of what Jesus did begins to make us just just scratch the surface of how much he loves us. How much he cared for us that he would do that for us. Go through that severe option right there. And it was not just something that could be done. It was the only thing 
that could set us free was for him to go through that most severe option. What do they say there at the end of verse 14? They don't charge us for this innocent blood. But, oh, Lord, you have done as it pleased you. That language there is similar to the prophet Isaiah's writings when it talks about Jesus going to the cross and he says, but it pleased the Lord to send his son to the cross. It pleased the Lord to send that sacrifice because that was the only way that a sinful man could be reconciled to a holy God was to send the lamb to the slaughter. And it pleased the Lord. Same way that they're showing us this language. And Jesus, years later, is going to stand in front of people and say, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And they're going to think to themselves, Jonah? But if they were willing to look and think about what he was going to do, there are all kinds of pictures of Jesus in the book of Jonah. There's the picture of of three days in the belly of the fish and all of those things. We'll get into those another time. But can I just tell you in these few verses we see very clearly that the only sacrifice that was on board was one. And the most severe thing had to be done in order to save all of those on ship. Surely we can say... That the only way, the only way by which we can be saved is to embrace that old rugged cross. We have to embrace that old rugged cross. I love the song, The Old Rugged Cross. It's the emblem of suffering and shame. And it's stained red with the blood of the precious child of God and it's awful and it's rugged and it's splintered it's not gold it's not a precious metal it's not uh, a thing on your chain it's not a crucifix it's not hanging in your living room but nonetheless I'll cherish that old rugged cross because there was no other way That's why the words of that song is just all cling to the old rugged cross. Because you got nothing else to cling to. And so the storm reaches everyone on board. The solution required someone on board. And finally the sacrifice, it rescued anyone on board. Look at verse 15 with me. And so they pick Jonah up and throw him into the sea. Then what happened? sea ceased it raging. They picked Jonah up. They tossed him into the sea. And the sea ceased its raging. Now I want to just give you a little irony for just a minute. In case you forgot what Jonah was doing. Jonah was scared for his life to preach to a bunch of pagans in Nineveh. So he was running as fast as he could in the other way. And then here we find him willing to give his life to save just a handful of pagans on a boat. Isn't that ironic how God sometimes twists those things? I don't go preach to a bunch of pagans and God said, fine, die for a few. What do you think about that, little guy? But get here with me just a moment. Just as Jonah being cast out to death saved everyone on that ship, anyone on the ship of life that reaches out 
and touches the hem of the garment of precious Jesus, they too can be saved. We said the storm reaches everyone early on. That means everyone. The storm reaches everyone. The sin debt has been ushered in to everybody who's been born after Adam. So I want to ask you a tough question. I think you know the answer. If you were born after Adam, slip your hand up. Good. That means you had a debt of sin. The storm has got you. And the only way to be forgiven, the only way to be excused from the wrath of God is Jesus Christ and the old rugged cross. And so how do we get saved? We recognize Sin messed everything up. That was a song during Bible school. It was a rap song. I may put it out on my first album. But it was an accurate song. I loved the songs during Bible school this year. Because if you just listen to them, they went through the gospel so clearly. They presented that God was the creator and that sin messed everything up and that only Jesus could make it all right. And it really is that simple. How do you get saved? You just recognize that your sin has you separated from God and that Jesus is the only way you believe in what he did on that cross. You embrace that cross and you cry out to him. If you could be baptized to get salvation, Jesus wouldn't have gone to a cross. He would have just issued a commandment in his word that said, and therefore thou shalt be baptized to attain salvation. God's not a confusing God. He wouldn't have put the rest of that stuff in there if that's all we had to do. If you could be affirmed in a church, if if you could have a group of people lay their hands on you as a child and affirm you, Jesus wouldn't have had to go to a cross. Matthew 1.1 would have said, And the church, therefore, thou shalt get together, lay hands on the child, and affirm them, and they shall be saved. Jesus wouldn't have had to go to a cross. You get where I'm going with this? I, I got 12 more examples, but we'll cut them off. If there was anything at all that could have been done for you to be reconciled to God, That's all would have had to happen. There wouldn't have needed to be a Jesus on a cross. There wouldn't have needed to be the death of the Lamb of God. There would not have needed to be the blood of Jesus. But the only way was through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the remission of our sins. That was the only sacrifice. That's the only name by which men can be saved is the name of Jesus. So as we close this evening, I want to ask you just a couple of questions. Well, I want you to examine yourself. What have you been clinging to for your salvation? If it's anything besides the cross on which Jesus died, you're clinging to the wrong thing. You're clinging to something else. But I want you, as every head goes bowed and every eye closes, please, I want to ask you to do something for me. In a moment... Brother Roger's going to play. Brother Danny's going to sing. And as they're singing, I'm going to ask you to do something different tonight. This is a small group. I don't normally do this, but I feel like, I feel like we need to do this tonight. 
If you're not sure in what you cling to for your salvation, I want you to slip up here and, and let's pray. Because that's the most important thing you can ever do. That's the most important conversation that you could ever have. But everybody in here knows somebody that they need to pray for. So while Brother Danny is singing, if you need to come lay it on the altar, that's fine. If you need to do it right where you sit, I want you to think of somebody. Your dad, your mom, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your friend at work. That guy you met the other day, the waiter that waited on you at lunch. Somebody in your life needs the grace of Jesus in their life. And I want you to pray for them during this hymn of invitation. I want every head to remain bowed, every eye to remain closed. Again, if you're not sure where your salvation lies, don't leave this place without a conversation. We can have that conversation tonight. But for everybody in here, you know somebody. And I want every person in here praying for somebody. Everybody can do that. Father God, Thank you so much for this evening, Lord God. Thank you so much for the picture of Jesus Christ in the book of Jonah, Lord God. God, thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus that saves souls, Lord God. That's still saving souls today, Lord God. The message of salvation has never changed from the days of Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Saul through the days of Dwight and Moody and the days of the preachers that preach a hundred years from now if you tarry. Lord God, the message will always be Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. And so God, I ask you to use the prayers of this group of people right now to touch the heart of someone that needs to come to know you, Lord Jesus. Every head remain bowed, every eye remain closed, Brother Danny. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.